Hi, I'm Lynn Galadner, and you're listening to the Make Meaning Podcast. I'm a former journalist and the author of nine books, a writing coach, and a marketing expert. In this show, I interview authors and people in publishing about how they find inspiration, how they build their brands and choose their publishing paths, and most of all, how they find meaning in the mundane. If you want to learn more about how to get your writing career off the ground, visit my website, lingaladner.com, and check out the classes, programs, and retreats that I offer. And if you like what you hear, please give us a five-star review at Apple Podcasts or on any podcast platform where you find the Make Meaning Podcast. I hope these stories give you the courage and confidence to make your writing dreams come true. Thanks for listening. Patrick Hicks was a guest on this podcast in 2021, and we talked then about his writing routine, his many books, his work as a professor in South Dakota, and his identity as a dual citizen of Ireland and America. We also talked about his fascination with writing about the Holocaust when he has no personal connection to that horrible time in the history of humanity. Now, I'm thrilled to invite Patrick back to the Make Meaning podcast to talk about his latest book, Across the Lake, a chilling, brutal, and beautiful story about the only all-female concentration camp during the Holocaust, Ravensbrück. Patrick is the author of more than 10 books. He's been nominated seven times for the Pushcart Prize. He was a finalist for the High Plains Book Award. And his poetry has appeared on NPR, the PBS NewsHour, and American Life in Poetry. He has lived in Northern Ireland, England, Germany, and Spain, but now calls the Midwestern United States home. When not writing, he enjoys watching thunderstorms roll across the prairie with his British wife, and he is a sucker for playing in the backyard with his son, who was adopted from South Korea. I'm excited to welcome Patrick Hicks back to the Make Meaning Podcast. Well, Patrick Hicks, welcome back to the Make Meaning Podcast. Oh, it's a pleasure to be back. Thank you so much for having me. So, you know, very few people return to this podcast as repeat guests, and I'm delighted that you're one of them. Um, I've loved watching your career flow and grow on social media over the last several years since we first met, and I'm excited to talk with you today about your newest book, Across the Lake. So let's start there. Tell me, what was the inspiration for this book? Oh, yeah. There, there are a number of points of inspiration for the book, but I suppose um, my I, I've, this is now my third Holocaust novel, and uh about halfway through my second novel about the Holocaust in the shadow of Dora, I began to realize that I was I was writing mostly about the male experience of the the Holocaust. And I just happened to be in Berlin doing some research. Uh, so I went up to Ravensbrück, the only all-female concentration camp in the Third Reich, uh, to pay my respects to those that were murdered and to walk the grounds so that I, I could just know the place a little better. And while I was walking around Ravensbrück, it occurred to me that I wasn't aware of that many books that uh, talked about the Holocaust from the female perspective. And while I was there, the idea for this novel kind of presented itself to me. And I I started with a simple question. Uh, did women act differently in the concentration camps than men? And as I did more and more research, I found out that that, that is indeed the case, that women, by and large, at Ravensbrook did act differently than their male counterparts at other camps. Yeah, that's fascinating. I actually, you know, 
being raised Jewish and so aware of the Holocaust and having lots of education about it, meeting survivors in my life, I don't think I had ever heard about Ravensbrook. And so I was really intrigued by the premise of your book. And and we did speak before a few years ago when you were on the podcast about why you're attracted to writing about the Holocaust. And so I wanted to talk a little bit about why this period of history and humanity fascinates you so much um, and what you hope to do in your novels when you're writing about this terrible time. Yeah, I, it's it's unusual to have an Irish Catholic guy from <laughs> Minnesota writing about the Holocaust. But when I was really young, you know, in the 1970s, I remember watching a documentary, it must have been on PBS, about the film footage that was taken at Bergen-Belsen. And the shock and injustice of that has never really left me. And for me as a writer, there's no greater story of injustice than than what happened to the the Jews of Europe and yeah. the other the other victims that got caught up in that undertow as well, and Polish people and Jehovah's Witnesses and whatnot. So I I have ever since I was a teenager, I'd been doing research on the Holocaust, but it wasn't really until maybe the last 15 years that I took it a really deep dive as far as research is concerned. I've gone, someone asked me a while ago how many camps I have done research at, and I think the number is 12. And mm -hmm. I've talked to a number of survivors. And I'll always say that the memoirs of the survivors are far more important than the books that that I'm writing. But I hope that maybe I can sort of add to the conversation and get people thinking about this 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 incredibly horrible event and in maybe in ways they hadn't thought of before. Yeah, yeah. Started with that question of, you know, how did it change through a lens of gender? And how did you sort of build the story? So you did your research, and it's a fascinating question, and I want to hear more about that too. But tell me how the story came to be, how you developed the characters, and, and what that vision was like for you. I sort of, I, I approached it with the idea of I wanted the reader to close across the lake and to ask I wanted the reader to ask questions of themselves, like, you know, what? how does gender operate in the Holocaust and how does violence and gender operate? Yeah. Uh, so there's there's that. That was that was really central to what I wanted the reader to sort of take away from the novel. Mm -hmm. But purely as a writer, and, and you know this, you're a writer yourself, there were yeah. certain craft things that I wanted to challenge myself with. I mean, I'm a guy and I knew that if I was going to write this, something like 90% of my characters were going to be women. So I, I was attracted to that challenge. And I'd never written what's called a braided narrative before because mm. in Across the Lake, the first chapter is from the perspective of Anna. She's an Aufzerin. That's, mm -hmm. she's, a, a, she's a female Nazi guard at, at, at Ravensbrück. And then mm -hmm. chapter two takes place in the mind of Svea, who is a prisoner, and it oscillates back and forth between the two of them. Mm -hmm. And the reader sort of is above the two characters, and the reader can see uh, things that these two characters don't know about each other. So from a craft perspective as a writer, I was I was really intrigued by the challenge. I wondered if I could pull it off. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Isn't that fun? It's really yes. fun to do that. Yeah, it yeah, it's it really is. interesting. <laughs> And how long did the project take you, you know, both the research and then the writing and, and all of that? I th The first time I went to Ravensbrook was 2019. And, you know, when I went there, I had no idea that I was going to write about it. But mm -hmm. uh, on the train ride back to Berlin, that's when I was thinking, you know, I should I should really write about this because mm -hmm. I've really spent a lot of time studying the Holocaust. And I didn't know much about Ravensbrook. And I thought maybe I can bring that to, to light. Mm -hmm. So I guess it's it's been four years in the making. And mm -hmm. I don't know, went through seven or eight drafts, something like that. And then my editor, you you know, you know what it's like. You, you sounds write about the right. First draft and then you just <laughs> you just repair after that. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it's interesting. I Years and years ago, I challenged myself. I wrote a short story where the main character was male. And I was like, okay, can I do this? Can I get into a man's mind and thoughts and, and create a believable character? So I totally get what you're saying. Like, it's really important to be able to step into their shoes and really think as they do. You know, I'm also working on an episode for the podcast about names, about how we choose character names and, and things like that. So oh, tell wow. me a little bit about what went into choosing the names for your characters too. Are they based on people you researched or are they completely fictional? Like, do they have significance or symbolism in any way? I would love to say that there is some <laughs> significance to Anna and Svea, but there there really isn't. I, I, I wanted... I guess, you know, because in many ways they're counterparts to each other. Svea is a victim of the Holocaust and Anna is a perpetrator. And as the novel progresses, it's very clear that she wraps her arms around evil. So I like the idea that both of these characters had four letters to their name. Mm -hmm. And in some ways they are very similar, but they're very different in other ways. And I guess, you know, the name Svea, there's something gentle about that name at, at least to my my ear and i know that as a as a writer i also prefer to have characters that don't have long names just because you got to type them out <laughs> i love that that's so funny so um so i know you did research on ravensbrook did you do any research into the psychology of violence based on gender did you learn anything about that so obviously how it was born out at ravensbrook but is are there is there a difference? Like, I, I don't know much about it. So I'd love to hear what yeah. you've learned about it. Yeah. And I I did uh, I did uh, quite a bit of research on gender and violence. There was a book that I read, and I, I think the author is Wendy Lower, but she wrote, but whoever wrote it, it's called Hitler's Furies. And it's about German women that were just incredibly violent. I mean, there were, there were murderers and they weren't necessarily guards in camps. They were just, you know, wives or girlfriends to high ranking or even low-ranking SS officers. And I, I, you know, there's a bit in the novel where I talk about how, uh, it, I think it's hard for us to sort of imagine women being violent. I mean, it's mm -hmm. it seems like, in Western society at least, that we understand when men are violent, but somehow if a woman is violent and murderous, there's something even more horrifying about that. And I, I, I wonder why that is. So the novel is also an investigation of, you know, why that was the case. Mm -hmm. And the female guards at Auschwitz, the Aufzeren, they were they were not in the SS because the SS was a thoroughly patriarchal organization. Women were not allowed in the SS. Mm -hmm. So the Aufzeren and that that word, I suppose, would be translated as auxiliaries. Mm -hmm. um, they were not a part of the SS. They weren't they couldn't wear the death's head, for example. Mm -hmm. But yet they were just as murderous as the men that were in the SS. And, and I mean, it's like a, a strange curiosity, but the women of Ravensbrook, by and large, were not allowed to carry firearms because mm. pistols were for men, but they did kill with dogs and with truncheons. Oh. Oh. And I, there's something even worse about that. I, I don't know why, but I just it seems more brutalizing and humiliating. Yeah, yeah. I, I just wonder what it must be like to be writing these books where you're, I mean, it's really valiant and courageous because I think these stories are super important, but what does it do to your own energy or your own sort of perspective? Like, is it, do you find that you're sort of in a, under a great cloud when you're writing about these topics or, you know, how does it affect you? I, I really appreciate this question. I don't talk about it very often, mainly because, you know, this, the story is the story and I guess it, it's not about me, but if you have, how, how do I word this? As a human being, how can I not be affected by yeah. by what I study and what I see? And, you know, it's been 15 years of uh, being in this darkness and it does affect me. 
Mm-hmm. And I don't want to be melodramatic about this, but I see things and it reminds me of the Holocaust. Like I'm from the Midwest and if I see a train mm-hmm. uh, going across the prairie, you know, mm-hmm. obviously I think of things or mm-hmm. I, I drive by an ethanol plant with smoke coming out. You know, I, I think about certain mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I, I'm not a huge baseball fan, but if I see the Yankees in their uniform, you know, mm-hmm. it's striped, I, I think mm-hmm. of certain things. Mm-hmm. So I, don't, I really don't want to be melodramatic. But I, no. I did realize about a year ago when I finished Across the Lake that I, I need to step back. Mm-hmm. And my next book is not about the Holocaust. It's about my home state of Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And I get to talk about joyful things. And I think, you know, I give a lot of lectures on the Holocaust all across the nation. So that won't stop. I feel like I have, I, I understand things about the Holocaust that f- makes me feel compelled to keep talking about it. Mm-hmm. But I don't know when I'm going to write another book about it. I really appreciate this question, Lynn. I I don't talk about the effect, I guess, that it's had on me, but I, I realize that it does. Yeah. Well, thank you for answering it. I know it's it's a probing question and I really do appreciate it. And um, I have a weird question to ask you. I don't know I if this is questions. <laughs> <laughs> getting into the realm of woo-woo or whatever, but like, I wonder if you have ever considered like in a former life, do you think you were a righteous Gentile or you were in the Holocaust or I, I don't know if that ever resonated with you. Like, did that ever occur? Or do you think I'm just a wacko asking the no, question now? No, I don't think, <laughs> no, not at all. In fact, I was talking with my wife about this a couple of weeks ago. I'm an absolute nerd for uh, aviation in World mm-hmm. War II. I love aviation. Mm-hmm. And the B-17 bombers, there's something about and they're the American bombers that, you know, just helped us win the war, quite frankly, without the B-17 bombers, you know, there wouldn't have been a D-Day, for example. And I love England. And if if we do believe in past lives, I kind of wonder, you know, yeah. and, and who knows? I, I have, I, I'm very deeply grounded and I feel very at home talking about World War II. So yeah. maybe, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting. We could have that conversation off air at some point because I definitely have my own thoughts. And I think in a former life, I was part of the Holocaust as well. It's very interesting. Yeah. But yeah. but yeah, I think what you're drawn to and what you write about, it comes from somewhere very deep and and we don't understand everything. So no. you never know. You never know. Um, well, thank you for indulging me. I really appreciate no. that because I know it's it, a strange question. <laughs> no, I don't think it's a strange question at all. I mean, the universe is so mysterious and it, it would be a great arrogance on our part to think that we have a, a lock on this is the rea- this is reality. I'm like, right. I don't, I don't know right. that we do. I totally agree with that. I totally agree with yeah. that. So, so I have a, a, a bigger, hard hitting question here. You know, we have seen a lot of hatred grow in our country and around the world, and it, you know, it seems like themes from the Holocaust, you know, racism, anti-Semitism, a scarcity mentality, fear of the other are alive and well today, which yeah. just shocks me because growing up, I always felt like the Holocaust happened and we're going to do our best so that it never happens again. And then I see everything that's going on right now. And so I wonder if if that could be why, and among many other reasons, a book like this is so important right now. You know, I, I do think it's a timeless lesson that we should all take account for our basest behaviors. But I also think there's a timeliness, which you, of course, you couldn't have known. You couldn't have, I mean, we've seen this, this tenor growing, you know, not only in America, but around the world for quite some time. But yeah. I just, I wonder what you think the the role of a book like this is at a time like this in history. It, I hope the book contributes to the conversation about how we need to stand up against fascism. I mean, we talk about autocracy, like uh, 
that there's a movement towards autocracy in America. But, you know, I want to call it for what it is. And it's just flat out fascism. Yeah. You know, there's open talk of, you know, suspending the Constitution. I don't even know how you can do that necessarily. But yeah, we have a presidential candidate that has zero respect for democracy. And when it comes to fascism, one of the tenets of fascism, uh, several tenets of fascism, but uh, one is certainly anti-Semitism, fear of mm -hmm. the other, and also a degradation of, of women, this idea that women need to be in the kitchen and, you know, mm -hmm. not equal to men. Mm -hmm. So I'm hoping that this, this book of mine, Across the Lake, can maybe challenge people to realize that this may have happened and would not may have this definitely happened in the 1940s but it's not that long ago right. and what separates us from the germans of 1940 is is us being honest with ourselves about the power of hatred yeah yeah i i've been talking a lot lately with people about the scarcity mentality versus the abundance mentality mm -hmm. and you know feeling like well if you get something then i lose something is the scarcity mentality and it's such a lie you know like yeah. everybody can can have a good life everybody can progress we can all be prosperous and it's you know it's it's really perplexing to me how we've gotten here it's not a political podcast so we don't have to assess that or come up with answers but i think that your book comes at a really important time and i i hope it gets into all the right hands is being read by people who who might not know about Ravensbrook and might start to consider about how we are toward one another. It's it's just, you know, you couldn't have planned a better time, but I, I think, yeah. unfortunately, I hope it can be a path for some people to really take a look at that. At that, So pivoting away from some yeah. of the heavy stuff, I know you teach at Augustana University in South Dakota. So how are today's students engaging with words and stories? Are there topics that they're fascinated with? Like, what are we seeing for the the future of writing? Oh, wow. Oh, I really love this question. I just, I'm so energized by my students. They, boy, they are just whip smart. And uh, if I'm being honest, I mean, they are just more on the ball than I was as an undergraduate. So it's really a joy to step into class here at Augustana and to engage with them. And I think it's, it's, it's safe to say that the uh, majority of my students are, are very interested in questions of equality, and you were talking about abundance and scarcity, they're, they're very interested in uh, questions of like, uh, of equality and gender, gay rights, trans rights. I, <laughs> there are commentators out there saying that professors like me are, you know, have an agenda. But <laughs> I, I'm here to tell you that the students arrive in my class already with, you know, they want to talk about certain things. Yeah. And if anything, over my the last 20 years I've been a teacher if anything they've my students have helped me become more progressive and attentive to the issues that are out there so okay. uh, that's really exciting and I I was really proud of our students because earlier this week we had some we had some propaganda go up by the patriotic Patriot mm. Front, which is an mm -hmm. anti-Semitic mm -hmm. racist group, and they had flyers around campus and and the students mm -hmm. rallied against that and I just was so proud of them. That's awesome. That's yeah. great to hear. I love that. So keep fighting the good fight. I, I yes. really love that. So, you know, what advice might you offer to aspiring writers who are listening to this episode? You know, what would you tell them about the the state of writing today, the state of publishing? What what advice can you offer? It's both easier to get published nowadays and and harder. Harder if you want to get to uh, you know, one of the bigger presses. But, you know, if I if I am going to offer advice and I sought out advice when I was beginning as a writer, so if anyone's listening to this and wondering, you know, 
what they can maybe do do better as a writer is I I would encourage beginning writers to see writing as a job that you know, there's I don't believe in inspiration I believe in sitting down and doing the work and I have a word goal of 750 words a day mm. and I sit down and I I do not get up until I reach those 750 words some nice. days are better than others uh, and and maybe you've got the same sort of writing regimen. Um, I do. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I see writing as a very blue collar job. No yes. one, no one asks a carpenter if they're inspired to build a house. You know, you right. just get up and you do it. Yeah. So yeah. I, I would encourage beginning writers to to look at it as a job. Yes. Yeah. No, I, I I think what made the difference for me was committing to five days a week. It's the first thing I do. I, I usually devote several hours to it. Yeah. And then I do all my other work and stuff. But that really did create a routine. And it also like fed me. You know, I was like, I couldn't wait to get back to it the next day. So yeah. uh, making it a habit, I think is super important. Definitely. Oh, I, I absolutely agree. And uh, so many scenes have like in Across the Lake, there's one scene that it only happened because I was I was in I was in the chair. I wouldn't have thought of it if I wasn't in the middle of writing it. And it's a really pivotal scene yes. in the novel. It changes the direction of the whole novel. And I would have missed it if I just, you know, decided not to write that day. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Well, I'm so glad you decided to write that day and gave us this beautiful <laughs> book. And so in the show notes, we're going to put all the links to where people can find you, where they can find the book. Any last thoughts before we finish for today, Patrick? Oh, I'm just so grateful that, I mean, you have a lot of people that you could have on the show and it's a, it truly is an honor to, to come back and, and to talk about this particular camp, which I think needs more attention. I'm so glad to give it attention and it's great to see you again. So thank you for giving thank me your you. time. I appreciate thank you. it. Yeah. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Make Meaning Podcast with Lynn Galadner. You can find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. If you like what you've heard, subscribe and share this episode with the meaningful people in your world. And please leave us a five-star review on your favorite podcast platform. You can learn more at makemeaning.org or lynngalodner.com.